Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, the Word of God says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made, by, made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So I was, some of you know, nurtured on classic rock. And if you're nurtured on classic rock, one of the songs you're no doubt going to hear is John Lennon's Imagine. And listen to some of the words of this song. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. No religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. It's not, it's not quite the same without the piano and the strings and him singing. But you get the point. Listen to the words. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one I hope Someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people living life in peace. As a young person, then as a teenager, and then as a college student, I would hear that and I would be like, man, that sounds really good. Uh, And then also I knew something smells really wrong about that, though I didn't know what at the time. But there is a part of us that that would resonate with the idea of peace. I mean, my goodness, peace would be preferable to war, isn't it? We'd much rather have peace than war. And so when we hear some of those words, we're like, my goodness, that sounds really, really good. We can understand the impulse and the desire behind that. And, And some of the things that song says recognizes real and serious and abiding problems in our world like war and like hunger. Unlike greed. In fact, I think if you look at world history, you can define world history in terms of warfare. Just think about us as Americans. I think you could make the argument that the two most defining events in American history are the Revolutionary War and World War II. These events defined us, who we are, and what we are as a people. I've got to give one more example. I can't help myself because... Whenever Adolf Hitler was elected as chancellor in Germany, he immediately started rearming the Germans, the nation. And then he started annexing small parts of land. And then he moved troops onto the the border, I believe, of what was then Czechoslovakia. And essentially at that point, people like Britain and France take notice, we've got to do something about this. And so Neville Chamberlain, who was the prime minister of Britain, goes to meet with Adolf Hitler. They have the, he has a private meeting with him in his like mountain home and then they have this uh, larger 
multi-countrywide meeting and they come up with this accord, right, this piece of paper that says there's going to be peace. And Neville Chamberlain, this, I think, now we know, um, a little bit naive world leader, comes back to Britain and he, he tells the British people publicly, quote, we have achieved peace in our time. And then just a short time later, the Blitzkrieg comes in and does away with Poland as it existed in that day and time. And Neville Chamberlain resigns and he's done. There's no world peace. It's not realistic. It's sad because of what sinful man is. But what, what, if, what if there really was a way to peace? What a message that would be. What if there really was a, a way for unity among people? And friends, we know as Christians there is a way. There, 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 there is peace. I mean, you look at the problems that John Lennon's singing about. You look at the problems that plague world history. Certainly you could look at those problems and think, only God could do something about this. Right? Right. No accord, no piece of paper, no agreement, no meetings are going to solve it. Only God could deal with the reality of war. God brings peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's at the heart of this passage. Now, before we dive in, there's two, there's two important realities you've got to understand to understand this passage. Number one, God has a people. You've got to understand, historically, God has had a people. That you read through the history of Genesis, you come to Genesis chapter 12, and the Lord said to Abram, kind of out of nowhere in reading the book of Genesis, seemingly, there's a genealogy, then the Lord says to Abram, he calls Abram to a land that he had not seen or or didn't know. And then essentially the Old Testament chronicles this history of God working through the descendants of Abram that we know as the nation of Israel, which becomes the, the Jewish people, the, the Israelites. And the Old Testament is this history of God working through them ultimately to bring a Messiah by which God would reconcile and save anyone who will follow him. But the Old Testament is about God's people, Israel. So God has a people. The other thing you've got to understand to understand what's going on in this passage is there are long-standing, established, and entrenched divisions between God's people, the Jews, and all the other nations. Now this... Much of this was not intended by God. Some of it was, but the way the Jews acted toward other people, the Jews, you understand, in that day and time, if they went to a, into a house of a Gentile, they would be considered unclean. In, in the days before the book of Ephesians was written, through much of the history of the Old Testament, if a Jewish person married a Gentile person, they would have a funeral for them and consider them to be dead. The, the Jews treated... Gentiles with severe disdain, calling them things like swine and dogs. Well, God has acted to change that, to bring unity. Look at verse 11. Talking to these Gentile Christians, he says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. So the, the first call here is to remember. To remember. that We need to remember what we were. 
Remember what we were, and notice he's addressing Gentiles in the flesh, called the circumcision. See the circumcision there? That literally is the word foreskin. And that's very intentional because this is one of the ways the Jews would slander Gentiles. This is one of their little nicknames for them. Because you understand people have been slandering people all through history. And this is the way the Jews would slander Gentiles. They would call them foreskin. That's what this word is. It's a slang word in your text. You know, our Bibles sometimes render it differently, but that's what this word is. And essentially the idea here is, this is what they used to call you. This is what the Jews, the ones who had circumcision, which was a mark of the covenant of God, this is what they called you. This is what you were to them. Look at verse 12. Remember, there's the call again to remember. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. That, that the Gentiles in Ephesus didn't know anything about Jesus Christ. They didn't know anything about the coming Messiah. The word Christ is a, is a, is a word with Old Testament overtones about this anointed king that God would send. They didn't know about that. They were separated from that. Not only that, they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were not the people of God. They were not part of Israel. They were alienated from that. And you see, you see it all through the Old Testament. The sacrifices Israel offered in the Old Testament were not for the Hittites. They weren't for the Assyrians. The word of God was not given to the Babylonians or to the Greeks. It was given to Israel. And the point here is, you... Gentiles, you were alienated from this commonwealth, from this nation, from these people. At one time, you, believers in Jesus Christ, were alienated. Not only that, you were strangers to the covenants of promise. God made covenants with Israel in the Old Testament that he didn't make with the other nations. They were strangers to all that. They were separated. Notice the last two things at the end of verse 12. No hope. Because the only hope is faith, is Jesus Christ. Apart from him, there is no hope. You had no hope, and you're without God in the world. They were in the world and without God. Even though in their case, they would worship the goddess Diana among a pantheon of other gods. Notice, even though they worshiped Diana, he says they were without God. Because they were the one true and living God. All through the, all through the scripture, God calls his people to remember Particularly in light of great acts of deliverance and salvation. Whenever God brought his people out of Egypt, this is a great act of salvation in the Old Testament. Look at what Exodus 13.3 says. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. And friends, do you remember what we had in Ephesians 2, 1-10? You had this great statement of how God saved you by grace. Well, remember what you used to be. Remember what you used to be as a Gentile. You were slandered, you were separated, you were alienated, you were without God. You need to remember what you were. You need to remember. And then he moves on to remembering God's work through Jesus Christ. Notice verse 13. But now... What a transition. It's what you were, separated, alienated, strangers, but now in Christ. And don't miss that. It's going to be all through this passage. Again, you should take a, a, a colored pencil or a highlighter and highlight every time it refers to Jesus Christ in this passage. It's going to call him who, it's going to call him him. 
Lots of references to Jesus because the way God works in the world to bring about peace is through Jesus Christ, his son. And specifically through the death of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross. Notice all that separation, all that alienation, all that slander. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were, you were far off have been brought near. Look at that distinction. You were far from God, but now you've been brought near. And how did God do it? By the blood of Christ, a reference to his death, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the shedding of his blood for your sin, brought you Gentiles near. That's God's work through Jesus Christ. And that's going to be woven through all this text. Or if you just wanted to say, remember the gospel. The gospel, the good news about Jesus' death on the cross for sins, his resurrection from the dead. Remember that. Remember what you were. Remember what God did in and through Christ. And now we're going to see what that's accomplished, what that's brought about. Remember who you were. Remember what God did through Jesus. Remember what he's done. Look at what he's done. Look at how it's described and what's happened now in Christ and how it's changed the relationship of Gentiles and the people of God, verse 14. For he himself is our peace. That's the first thing we see. And we're going to see it four times in this passage. God has brought peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just point them out to you. Verse 14. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace by the work of Christ. He made peace, verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. There is peace through Jesus Christ. This is one of the Bible verses the kids learn in Awana is Isaiah 9-6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's what this child is going to be called. He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring peace. And that's why it's part of the angel's announcement in Luke chapter 2, I believe it's verse 14, when they say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Because this child is the means to peace. So we see that that's what God has done. He has brought peace. Something else God has done through Jesus Christ, and this is where that background comes in that we talked about before. Not only has he brought peace, but he's brought unity. He's brought unity. Notice all the unity language in this passage, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Jesus has made us both one. Now, who is the both, who is the us, and who is the one? Okay, now keep in mind who's writing this, Paul, who's a Jew. He's made us, that's Jew and Gentile, one. And again, this is a mind-blowing idea to the Jew. And incidentally, this becomes the most controversial issue in the early church. What about these Gentile believers now that they're brought in? It's going to cause a lot of division. It's going to cause a lot of messiness and difficulty and distress. But it's, the Bible couldn't be clearer. Among two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles, that lived with historic and religious disdain for one another, 
through Jesus Christ. Notice the language, made us both one. More specifically, look what he's done. He's broken down in his flesh, that's by his death. Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. This is probably a reference to a literal wall that existed in Jerusalem. Maybe it's a symbolic spiritual wall, because there was that too. But probably here, this dividing wall he's referring to was a wall that all the Jews would have been familiar with. A a wall that existed in the temple. That that essentially in that time, the, the, the Jews, they would gather together at the temple in Jerusalem for sacrifices. And in the temple in Jerusalem, there was a wall that separated a place for the Jews to come and worship and then the Gentiles to come. In fact, I've read that in Jerusalem there is a museum where you can look upon and see an actual sign that was on that wall prohibiting Gentiles from entering and the sign promises death to any Gentile that enters in. In Acts chapter 21, essentially what gets Paul arrested by the Jews is they make a false claim about Paul that he had brought Gentiles into that court. Acts 21, I believe it is. But it was a big deal for the Jews to be separate from the Gentiles in their worship. They're not not allowed access to this. They're not allowed access to the people. They're not allowed access to these sacrifices. They're to be separate. But in Christ, that wall has been torn down. That separation is done away with in Christ. Again, keep in mind this strong, historic division between Jew and Gentile. Jesus has done away with that. Notice verse 15, it gets more specific. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. This is clearly a reference to the law. That in the Old Testament, one of the things that separated God's people from the world was God revealed himself to his people through the law, through the Old Testament. Through the first five books of the Bible first. It's called the law. Within the law, one of the roles and one of the purposes of the law was to create a separation and a clear distinction between the people of God, the Israelites, and the world. That the law would create this distinction by the way they were supposed to live. The way they viewed marriage and who they were allowed to marry was different than the Gentiles. That essentially what they ate was different. And it would mark them out as different from the nations. They didn't eat certain foods. They practiced the Sabbath. This, the way that they practiced and set aside this one day, or at least were supposed to, would make them different than the, the nations. The way they dressed even. There, there were dress requirements for, for every Jew living under the law. There, there, they, they weren't allowed to shave the edges of their beard. This is why now if you see Jews, most of the Orthodox Jews who claim to still be keeping the law, they have these huge beards because that's in the law. But all of that, one of the purposes of it was to distinguish them from the nations. And Jesus says all of that purpose of the law to distinguish this people from that people abolished no longer in force it had a time it had a purpose but now that purpose of the law is done away with by Jesus Christ incidentally there's a new covenant now that's an old covenant it's obsolete there is a new covenant that is superior through Jesus Christ And now, there's a lot that's changed. Now the law of God is written on people's hearts. 
Now their hearts are changed. Now they're caused to obey the word. A lot changes with the new covenant. The spirit now indwells every believer. Guess what? Now there's not any physical stone temple. But you're the temple. Every believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Incredible changes come about for the people of God through Jesus Christ. And one of those changes that this text emphasizes is, notice, they're both one. Verse 15, he's, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man. Now notice the language of creation there again. He might create in himself. This is Jesus' work in him, the language of creation. And notice what he's created. Out of these Jews, out of these Gentiles who have historic hatred for one another, look what he's created. He has created one new man. It's an act of creation. It's a new creation. This is why in the midst of this Jew-Gentile turmoil that's going on in the early church, listen to some passages that address this. Galatians 3, 28 and 29. Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. God has acted in such a way through Christ to make you one. It doesn't mean there aren't these worldly distinctions. Obviously there's male and female and Jew and Greek. But in the church, through salvation, you're one man. Verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. That's Old Testament language for Israel. That's you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians 3.11. Colossians 3.11. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all, in all. In Christ, in the gospel. You've got Greeks. You've got Jews. These are two people that, from a worldly standpoint, it's hard to imagine anybody being more different than them. But then you add in barbarians and Scythians. Barbarians, literally, joined together in one man with these people in Christ. One more, Galatians 6.15. Look at what Paul the Apostle, the Jew, the Pharisee, the one who knows the law, Paul the Apostle, look what he says in Galatians 6.15. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. That's what counts. That's what counts. And that's what you find here. Jesus has created one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both. Look at that. Both reconciled to God. Friends, you understand just because a person is a descendant of Abraham, just because they're a Jew, they still must be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. There's a false belief and a false view that just because someone's Jewish, because they're a descendant of Abraham, well, they're going to be saved. That's a wrong view. Read the early chapters of the book of Acts. Primarily, the people that the apostles are evangelizing in Acts chapters 1 through 9 are Jews. Just because you're a descendant of Abraham doesn't mean you're one of God's people. Read Romans 9. Not all Israel is Israel. <clears throat> no, they're both reconciled to God in one body, look at how it comes about, one body, not separate, one, and it's through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And the hostility there is probably the hostility between them. Verse 17, and he came, this is Jesus came and 
preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access. Notice the emphasis there. It's through him and it's we both. All of us. How do you have access? Through Jesus in one spirit. There's more unity language. To the Father. That's the one we have access to. The Holy God. The Father. Notice the Trinitarian reality of that verse. Through him, that's Jesus. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. All three persons of the Trinity there. Now, if you remember back, the, the text many of us are familiar with is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, which is, I think, probably the greatest and clearest explanation of salvation in all of the Bible. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. The, the issue there is very similar to this text in that it begins in chapter 2, 1 through 3 with what you were. You were dead. You were following the course of this world. And then it says, but God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has for you. By grace you have been saved. It, it talks about what you were and then it talks about what God did. Similar to this text. What's different in this text is the, the verses 1 through 10 talk about salvation how you're saved and how you're seated with Christ and how you're raised through Christ. This text talks about the relationship that results by being saved. That God not only saved you to, to give you eternal life and raise you up, He also saved you to make one new man. And that's what this passage is about. And again, remember the call, two times the command. In fact, the only commands in Chapters 1 through 3 are the two commands. Remember. Remember what you were. This is what you were. You were an alien. You were a stranger. You were without God. You were without hope. You were not part of the covenant. That's what you were. So the difference here is relationship. Now, let me take a few minutes and, and try to apply some of this as best as I can. This is a, this is a great text for looking at what the church is who makes the church who makes up the church it's through Jesus Christ it's in him and it's to be one notice there is peace brought about through Jesus and that peace leads to unity it leads to one man and as we study through the rest of Ephesians unity is one of the main themes that's going to come out over and over and over again. If you look back at chapter 1 and verse 10, you can see in the plan of God, this purpose of unity is God's plan even before the ages. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Well, what's that going to look like? What's well, going to look like those who believe in Jesus Christ are united as one man or they should be or they should be which this text I believe speaks a great deal about how we view other people within the church within the church remembering what you were let's just take aliens and strangers without God without hope remembering what you were should have a big impact on how you view other people in the church and unity in the church and remembering what God has done through Christ for you I would say first of all based on that just reject barriers there are, there are artificial worldly cultural religious barriers that should not separate the people of God within 
the church of God. Let me, let me give you a few examples of what I mean. And keep in mind who we're talking about in this text, Jews and Gentiles. Well, think about some of the barriers people have in our day, in our time, and in churches in our world that we've got to avoid based on this, that Jesus died to create one man, not these kind of false artificial divisions. Well, a lot of people come into the church with previous religious practices, like baggage. Everybody's going to have this to some degree. Or you might call them traditions. Uh, Practices not found in the Bible, not authorized, not commanded, not required by God. Paul the Apostle, if you want to look into this more, write down Romans 14. Uh, And you can see, again, this Jew-Gentile issue in the church of Rome. Romans 14, he deals with there are people who only like to eat certain foods. And that's a big issue for them. There are people who regard certain days as more important than other days. And that is a big deal to them. And the the scripture message is that these, these shouldn't be barriers to unity in the church. Uh, There's also, and I think one that particularly affects us, are cultural distinctives. There's a a lot of cultural distinctives between a Gentile previous worshiper of Diana of the Ephesians and the Jew. A lot of cultural differences there. And Jesus says, the Word of God says, they're made one man. There are cultural distinctives. This is in our day and time where I would put the idea of the, the musical preferences. That's a cultural distinctive. It doesn't matter what you've always done. That's your culture, whatever. Your culture is going to pass away. It's done. It's gone one day. It's like dust in the wind. Don't be too attached to that. Don't bring that into the church. Certainly don't define the church by that human, worldly thinking. It's cultural distinctives, like dress. I mean, just in the, just in the age differences in this room, there are cultural distinctives. I'm very different than my dad, who was really different than his parents. And that's in my own family. People that share a you know, uh, common ancestry. My goodness, my dad is so different than his parents. It's crazy. And then I'm very different than him. People meet me and they're like, you're his kid? <clears throat> I mean, do any of you, the rest of you, have those kind of experiences? You, you, under, you understand, like... 80-year-olds in our church are going to think differently and have different ideas and thoughts than 20- and 30-year-olds. That's part of living in the world. Those kind of things shouldn't divide us who are united or supposed to be united in Christ. There's all kinds of those distinctions that shouldn't divide us in the church like dress, whatever. Another one that is clear in this text is racial hostility. Racial hostility. That there is severe Jew, non-Jewish racial hostility. This is sadly something that's existed all through the history of the world. It just found a, a particular emphasis in the way the Jews treated the Gentiles with disdain. But obviously we know, sadly, racism is part of our world. But it shouldn't be in the church. It shouldn't be in the church. There shouldn't be barbarian or Scythian. Uh, there shouldn't be Jew or Greek. There should not be a a, a recognition in any way of someone just because they're a different skin color of a different race than you that they're any different before God or Christ than we are. And friends, that kind of thinking still exists. 
And you, as a Christian, need to be able to take the Bible and refute that kind of false teaching that artificially divides the church. That is false teaching, to think that one person is different or lesser than another based on race. Read this text. And I can promise you the racial divisions between Jew and Gentile in that day and time were more severe than probably anything you could meet with in this world today. These people hated each other, or unless the Jews hated the Gentiles anyway. But now in Christ and through Christ, they are created to be one. That's what the church is supposed to look like. And see, remembering what we are, or what, remembering what we were and what God's done can help us with that. I, I was an alien to God. I was, re, I was a stranger to God's people. But Jesus intervened. Also, remembering what we were and what God has done should affect how we reach out to the world. Not only should we reject artificial, worldly, cultural, traditional boundaries within and let the Bible be our guide. Also, how we view the church and how we view what happens as a result of salvation should affect how we reach out to the world. Because I, I think that as Christians and as believers in the gospel, at least what's happened to some, so I think it's a danger for, for us to consider, you have these doctrines and, and truths that you believe, it can lead to a tendency, you know, sin takes everything that's good and twists it and corrupts it. We have these doctrines and these teachings and this truth that we value and that we highly esteem that should not ever cause us to look down upon another person or have disdain toward another person. The, the idea of they're really different than us. Right? Are, I mean, are there people in Gulfport really different than you? Yeah. Probably one of them standing in the pulpit. <laughs> I'm probably different than a lot of you. But you know what? We're one in Christ. But there's a lot of people just in this town, let alone California, let alone Africa, and let alone Europe, really different people. And we cannot allow this idea of that person's really different from me to hinder us from reaching out to them. And I think that's a, a serious danger. Like, for instance, I mean, just this week. This week, a transgender drag queen... By the way, that's language you would have never imagined coming from a pulpit 50 years ago. It's language that didn't even exist. But now this week you have a transgender drag queen arriving at a meeting of Congress. They probably didn't see that in the 1950s. But here's the reality of the world we live in today. It does happen now. How do you reach out to a transgender person? Well, the way you reach out to any other person is with the gospel. But I'm just saying, that's just a reality in your world. And that is a barrier. And it shouldn't be to reaching out. Or what about a person raised in Islam? I mean, we are living in the same country now, right? I mean, I know at least in Flatwoods, West Virginia, by the way, middle of nowhere, there's a mosque. So Islam is here. And there's going to be children raised in Islam. There's whole communities in other American cities of 
Muslims raising kids in Islam, believing in Sharia law, that, how are you going to reach out to those people? Well, I mean, if you think, well, they're just so different than me. And they are. Can you remember you were an alien to God? Can you remember that you were hostile to God? Can you remember that you were a stranger to the people of God? You remember that? It might help you recognize, my goodness, this person's another stranger to God. I want to help them know God and know Jesus Christ. Again, this is where the Bible, one of the ways it describes our work in the world is we're ambassadors for Christ. We're members of another kingdom. And, and God sends us into the world of transgender drag queens, people raised in Islam, obnoxious rednecks, uh, religious prudes who don't know the gospel but just attend church and are religious because of tradition. God sends us into this world of all these diverse people and, and people who are atheists and people don't, who don't know anything and people who worship animals. Uh, God sends us into this world as ambassadors of his kingdom. And our message is, you need to be reconciled to God. And, and remembering, my goodness, previously I was not rec reconciled to God. It doesn't matter what barrier it is. The person's racially a different color. My goodness, okay. I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. So remembering what we wore helps us with that. You drive down the road, I don't know if you've seen it, the coexist bumper sticker. Have you seen it? Look for it, it's there. It's out, it's out there. Um, just Google it, It'll probably come up. Well, be careful with Google. But, um, I mean, again, there's part of me that resonates with that. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Or imagine all the people living life in peace. We don't have to imagine that. Understand, we don't have to imagine. And we know it's not, certainly not through some governmental philosophy that's going to bring it about. It's through the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And it comes about in the church. And the church then takes that message to the world. We don't have to imagine that. We know what God's done. So we need to tell people that good news. That they can be reconciled to God. The hopes and fears of all our years are met in Him tonight. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for your word. I hope I haven't muddled it or distracted from it. That through Jesus, through the cross, we have peace with one another. There's to be no hostility because of what Jesus has done. Thank you, Lord. Help us, God, to love one another and honor you and serve you and live for you. Help us to be ambassadors of Christ in a world, a world plagued by sin, God, and depraved and dark. Help us to go, Lord, and call people to reconcil reconciliation through the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us boldness to do that this week. Help us in our church to live this out. I just pray artificial, worldly, traditional, non-biblical boundaries would not divide us, God. Help us to have unity because of the gospel, Jesus Christ, who does unite us. In his name we pray. Amen.